Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here again with Dan Rudman. And we are, well, we're entering the second episode in a series on biblical manhood and womanhood. And if you're just jumping in right now to this series, this part two of this series, I I can't stress enough how you should stop listening right at this moment and go back and listen to the first part, which is is a discussion really on the hermeneutical principles that we employ when we interpret our Bibles to come to the correct meaning of a text. And so when we come to a topic that's as emotionally charged and culturally as charged as this one, manhood and womanhood, uh, and and a part of that really is sexuality and marriage. Uh, like we have to, we have to have, as Dan has been saying, we have to have the pieces on the table properly. We have to understand what is the Bible actually telling us here. Uh, what are our presuppositions that are guiding the way that we're interpreting the Bible and the way we're applying the Bible? Like we have to understand this. We have to know how to properly interpret our Bibles to come to the correct meaning of a text so that we know what the eternal God of the universe who has created all things is saying about this. And he has every right to speak into these issues. Uh, Your life is not your own. You were made from nothing by God for God. Uh, And he has every right to tell you how to live (laughs) and how to think about things and how to act and how to, how to behave. And he's told us in the, in the Bible, which is the amazing thing. We have the book. (laughs) <laughs> and we're people of the book if we're a Christian, if you're a Christian. So that's important. It's a pretty, you know, it's kind of a long discussion. I mean, we went nearly an hour and 40 minutes talking just on how you interpret the Bible. So I I can't, I can't say with enough emphasis, go back, listen to that episode if you have not already. If you already listened to it, great. Here we go. <laughs> so. What we said, we gave a little bit of an outline at the very end of that episode, and we'll kind of rehash that outline. Um, Again, we started with hermeneutical principles. How do we interpret our Bible? That's essential. Now we're going to be moving into what Dan has said, putting the pieces on the table. And the pieces, what he means is the scriptures, the the scriptures that talk about this issue of manhood and womanhood. What are... What are these passages saying? What is the one meaning of these passages? And so what we're going to do now is we're going to start in the beginning of our Bibles. We're going to start in Genesis. And right now, really, what we're going to get into is Genesis 1 through 3, the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. And this is the, these first three chapters are talking about the creation account. Uh, they're, they're going to tell us about life. In the Garden of Eden, before sin entered the world. <laughs> and God said, you know, obviously he's, he said that this is good. There is no sin in the world yet. There is nothing being tainted. Uh, this is how he created the world to be and to flourish. And it's good and it's wonderful and, and there's no sin there. Uh, but then we obviously get to Genesis 3 where it's the, the account of the fall. When sin does indeed enter into the world and, and we see the consequences of sin. So that's important for us to understand as well. Uh, man, if you don't have an, a good understanding of Genesis 1 through 3, then, man, a lot of things are going to be very confusing to you. Uh, if you remove Genesis 3 from the Bible, which is the the account of the fall, well, then this life would not make sense. Why on earth is there all this pain and suffering and hardship and, and evil and, and, and all this stuff? Why? Well, Genesis 3 tells us. So these are very, very, very important chapters in our in our Bible. So that's where we're going to start. Again, we're talking about manhood and womanhood. 
So we're going to start in the very beginning. Then we're going to move on in, in uh, subsequent uh, podcast episodes. We're going to move on to just the Old Testament in general, look at some pa- passages in the Old Testament, especially some of those what we might call problem passages where it really kind of confused some people. Uh, passages that a lot of people have debated or had discussions over. We're going to look at those. Then we're going to get into the New Testament, talk about Jesus, talk about the Gospels, talk about how he interacted uh, with this topic of manhood and womanhood. Uh, Then we're going to get into the epistles, especially the Pauline epistles, because Paul certainly had a lot to say about this this thing of this topic of manhood and womanhood and a lot of the things that have caused a lot of uh, conflict, you could say, in the church today over these issues have been from what Paul has said about this issue. So we're definitely going to look at Paul, and then we're going to wrap it all up with, you know, the final word in Revelation, cap it off, whole uh, survey of the scriptures. I don't know how many episodes it's going to last. I would assume we'll probably do an episode, you know, one episode at least on Genesis 1 through 3. That's what this one is. Probably an episode on the Old Testament. Probably an episode on Jesus and the Gospels. Probably an episode on Paul. Uh, and then we'll start to look into some application and how does how does this apply to our day today? Uh, but again, we're going to be somewhat hesitant with application um, because we find ourselves in a very uh, multifaceted uh, culture and situation with all these different uh, things to weigh. But we have to talk about application. So eventually, we'll get to that. So it's it's this is going to be a long series, um, and I can't promise you how long it will be, <laughs> but it's probably going to be more than five episodes. We've already done one, and we haven't even entered the Bible yet. (laughs) So, here we go. Genesis 1 through 3, the creation account. And here is why we start here. Again, God has created this world to display his glory. He created man in his image. And we're going to look at that here, coming up. He created man to worship him, to know him, to glorify him. And really to enjoy him. And God is good. Uh, he doesn't even... He, you know, once sin enters the world, the, James tells us he can't, he can't even tempt somebody to sin. God hates sin. He is absolutely opposed to sin. Sin is everything that's not God in a sense. And we are the authors of sin ultimately. We're going to look at that. So, when we come to this topic of manhood and womanhood... We have to realize that our perception of this, of manhood and womanhood, what does it mean to be a man, what does it mean to be a woman, our perception of it is is often and certainly is tainted by sin and tainted by the flesh. So if we want to see what was originally biblical manhood, true true manhood, you sh- I could say true manhood, true womanhood, before sin tainted everything up and messed everything up, what was it actually like before the fall? How did God actually design us? That's where we have to go. Pre-fall. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing that we actually have an account of that in our Bibles. But the first thing that we have to talk about is that we as human beings are created in the image of God. And so we're going to skip through God creating, uh, um, you know, we see this creation of the world in Genesis 1, but we're going to skip down to... uh, Uh, Let's go verse 26, and it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
male and female he created them so there is an account of the creation of man in genesis 1 now think of genesis 1 as this genesis 1 is is you could say a a 30,000 foot view of all of of creation as god created all of the world you know everything in it including man and then genesis 2 is a zoom in of a creation of man so this is the broad 30,000 foot view as we see in genesis 1 the creation of man. So we see one thing first that God has already created, you know, animals, plants, everything. And there's something very unique about the creation of man. And it's that God has created man in his own image. Nothing else on earth at this point has been nor will be created in, in God's image except man. Man is the only creature of God that was created in his own image. And that's a big deal. Uh, and what does that mean? Uh, well, the scholars have, have come to some consensuses on this. Certainly it means that we, like God, are, are have volitions or wills. We make decisions. Uh, we, we have emotions and personalities. Um, we're relational, as God is relational. Uh, we desire to be with other people. We, we can show love and affection. Uh, that's certainly an aspect of being created in the image of God, as God is a personal, relational, uh, triune God. Part of it, too, is that God has created us to be representatives of him on this created world. So as God rules the all of creation, uh, both the spiritual realm and the physical realm, he is the ultimate ruler of all things. We, as human beings, were created to rule his created, or his physical world, uh, the earth. And we see that starting in verse 26, and it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our, our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over, creep, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So there, there is, has, has dominion. He's given man dominion over the created world, to rule it, to govern it. Uh, and so man has this, this uh, he is above all other created things, animals, plants. Uh, he has dominion over them. So now if we jump back down to verse 27, again we see this. So God created man in his own image, in his likeness. In the image of God, he created him as his representatives. Uh, male and female, he created them. So here we get a distinction now. God created man. Man is composed of both male and female. And both male and female are image bearers of God. Now, this is important. Add some clarity, Dan. I have been talking to no, you, too you much, keep, maybe. No, no, no you, that's why it's called preach and persuade. You get to preach. So you're, <laughs> you're, you're preaching. I want, you to do some, I want you to do some preaching, too. Well, you're doing fine. I like to just chip in. So... Uh, yeah, the only thing I would say it might be helpful is that sometimes in, in this at this point, in this part of the text, so God created man, uh, I think what we tend to think of as mankind. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, in our normal communication yeah. with one another, we'd say, well, that we say mankind at this point, that's not male per se. Right. Though you might get into some of the language here. It is interesting because... Right. This gets into the discussion, but you could say mankind, but it's interesting. He created a plurality, and it was men and woman. So both yep. ma ma male and female, man and woman, 
are both created in the image of God. Right. They're equal. And that's the point. And, and, and they're equals. They're equals. And they're equals. Yep. They're equals. Absolutely that's, equal. That's that. That's what that's what this text is showing us. So we're gonna again, yeah. again, thirty thousand foot view. What do we get from chapter one of Genesis? This is what we get. Yeah, we yeah. have humanity, mankind. They're called man. Now, man is composed of both male and female. They're yep. equal. Yep. As in their equality is is that they're both image bearers of God. Yep. Both. And and Sam, the next statement. And if am I getting ahead of you by going to the next statement? What he says to them. And God is it in Genesis one? Go for it. Yeah. And God said to them, "Okay, be fruitful. Yeah. Number one, yep. two, two, and multiply. That's two. Yep. Fill the earth. That's three. Subdue yep. it. Four. Yep. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every other living thing that moves on the earth. Now, I'm just saying though that he said um, he blessed them. So this is a good, yeah. wonderful thing, and he gave this. If, mandate of humanity to both the man and the woman that's the point yes they yep, they absolutely. they are to rule yep together together yep yep boom it's a that's what we get it's a plural rulership right here yep got it okay got it and i think that's i mean that's all we need to talk about from genesis one again thirty thousand foot view that's what we get mankind is made in the image of god both and mankind is comprised of both male and female. Now, here's another thing we get though that we have to we have to keep this in mind. Mankind comprised of both male and female is called man. Man. He created man in his own image. Now, man is both male and female. So keep that in mind. Yep. Keep that in the back of your mind. I think the other quick uh, quick thing too is this uh, is this idea of image, right? Yep. And in that context, in that language, remember we were working with our hermeneutic principles. Yeah. The idea of image there is um, uh, creating in God's image. There's, like you already said, there's a number of things that kind of we kind of can put with that. But it is the sense of God's rulership, God's yeah. over things. And so you could say that God is creating man and woman and placing him here as his appointed rulers over this dominion, yeah. over this dominion. Yep. Yep. Literally, you could say that. Like you guys. Oh yeah, it's, a, it's you, absolutely. You together, it's absolutely jointly, true. are to rule this dominion. Yeah. Okay. It says subdue it and have dominion. Yeah. But that would have been the the connotation uh, or the uh, interpretation of that from that from a near ancient Eastern. Yep. Time Moses writing Hebrew language. You guys are to rule together. Rule over this thing. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Perfect. And then finally, we verse thirty-one. And God saw everything and that He had made, and behold, it was very good. Yeah, very. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Very good, by wonderful. The way. Very good. Very good. Prior to that, oh, yeah. everything was good. This is very good. Oh yeah, this is very good. So this is my anniversary today of thirty-seven years. <laughs> with, with, it's with, amazing. With my bride, and it's very good. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay, now we're jumping into Genesis two. Yeah. Now we get a zoom in. Remember uh, Genesis 1, 30,000 foot view of all of creation. Again, very good. It's all very good. Genesis 2, zoom in of the creation of man. Here we start to get some details. Hey, Here by, we start to get some distinction. By the way, between, for what it's, yeah. for what it, just what it's worth, it's interesting because uh, the translation there of this, uh, the fact that he named him man, both of them mm -hmm. man, and I know you said this already, but it, it's that uh, uh, Adam. Adam. Yeah, Adam. 
Adam. Adam. Yep. So at this, yeah. at this point in that text, Adam includes, yep. Adam includes, yeah, the man and the woman, Ma- and the yeah. And if you, we say Adam, and if you were to look at the Hebrew language, uh, and you were to pronounce the, you know, the 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 Hebrew letters, it it sounds like Adam. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Man, as we translate man, it it sounds to our ears Adam. So, yes. A piece to put on the table. piece to put on the table. Yep. <laughs> and it's, it's certainly a necessary piece. Yep. So, and we, again, we want to get as many pieces on the table as we possibly can. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, Genesis 2. Zoom in. We're just going to, I'm just going to read the whole chapter because now we got to really, now we're really looking at some details here and we need to get the whole, everything we can from it. Context. Yep. The t- Context, exactly. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished. And all the host of them, and all the, yeah, all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Starting in verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the fields had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, okay, we'll stop there. So, so far we see God created man from the dust of the earth. From the earth, he created him. And so he's this, he's this, he's this, you could say he's this material being created from the earth, but he's also the spiritual being. He has a soul. He breathed in the breath of life. He gave him a living spirit, a soul, made him alive. And we know already that he is made in, in the image of God. And says he, he, he planted a garden and he put Adam in this garden to work the ground, to work the garden uh, uh, and to even protect it. And uh, then... We see some distinctions. There's these, these, all these trees in the garden, all these plants, and there's, there's these two trees in there, these two specific trees. And one of them is the tree of life, and another is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that's what, that's, that's what we have context right now. Now, starting in verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havala. <laughs> That's a hard word to say. Where there is gold, and the gold of the land is good. <laughs> That's I kind of I always think that's interesting. <laughs> Dulium and Oxstone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. So now we're getting some geography, Geography, you could say. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, there we, there we see it. Put him in the Garden to work it and to keep it. Mm-hmm. So we could say work before the fall fundamentally is a good thing. It's good that Adam works and keeps this Garden. And again, it, it brings him joy to do it. It's a wonderful thing and it glorifies God that he does this. So that's just, you know... 
understand that. So, okay, I'll, I'll start in verse 15 again. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. Here we got, uh, uh, a, I mean, straightforward, propositional. God speaks to Adam, gives him a command to this man that he just formed from the dust. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat. Listen to the language. Pay attention to the language. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, it's interesting. When you look at the the Hebrew language, there is this, you know, you could... There's a way that you could communicate it, and it would just say, you may eat of every tree of the garden. And you, Okay, got it. Bam, got it. I can eat of every tree of the garden. But this surely, you actually see this, this, this grammatical way that it's, 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 uh, it's hard to explain because Hebrew is such a different animal than English, but it's this amplification. Surely eat. And we, we certainly get that in English, but it's, it's even more prevalent in the Hebrew of how this is a, an extreme amplification. It's showing God's uh, abundant generosity. He, you know, he could have just said, you, 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 you know, may eat of every tree. Great. Got it. Same meaning. But this word surely, it's an amplification. It's showing the abundant generosity of God. Yeah. And I, and I, then, and I would want to emphasize too, uh, Sam, along with the surely is that this idea of a command. He's really not even yeah. saying uh, you might want to do this, uh, you may want to do this. That's not actually what he's saying, and we'll see how that picks up later in, yeah. in Genesis, why that's important. But he actually commands him. Now, yeah. And why this is important, he's commanding, think of this, he's commanding Adam to do something that's really cool, like really good. Yeah. That's how I say <laughs> it. It brings a lot of joy. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's saying, hey, go party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he's commanding him, go enjoy all of this. I want you to eat from all of this. That's my point. It's not, yeah. it's not like I'm going to allow you to, um, you can, if you want, like a, like a, a permission to do it. Yeah. He literally commands him to go party. Yeah. That's, go enjoy. Go enjoy this. This is all yours. You get to eat from all of it. Go. Except, and it's good. And yep. it glorifies me. Yep. Except there's one. There's only one. Yep. And here we go. Yep. So you may surely eat of every tree of the, the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of the uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, again you see you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall here we have this word surely again. Yep. He could have just said you shall die. He says you shall surely die. Yeah, it's an amplification said, right. again. He, and again, he didn't say may die, yep. you might die. It'll be complicated. He said you will surely die. Yep, very, amplification, very, big deal. Very definitive, very clear. Very definitive. So the point is, we've had this distinction here. We've had this clarification, these details. In the garden are all these trees, including the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says you can eat of every tree, including the tree of life. The tree of life. And again, progressive revelation stuff. Got the whole canon of scripture now. We know, and we'll, I mean, we'll bring it in here right now, but we know that the tree of life is kind of a big deal because in, in the new heavens and the new earth, the tree of life is brought back up again and it's in this new heavens and the new earth. It's in this new Jerusalem and we may eat of it freely in the new heavens and the new earth. This tree of life is a big deal. This isn't just something to pass by and think, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. No, it's a huge deal. 
tree of life. And we could, and Adam could eat of it as much as he wanted. <laughs> and he's commanded to go eat of it. <laughs> Except this one tree, knowledge of good and evil. Can't eat of that. And the day you do, you shall surely die. So, that's what we know so far. Context. God has spoken to Adam. He's given him this propositional command. Then, starting in verse 18, then the Lord God said, now this is where we start to get some very interesting details. Pay closely, pay close attention to what's happening here. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. That's that's kind of odd. Let's stop there. It's not good. What? What? Everything's good. We just saw in Genesis 1, everything's very good. But now God says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. We'll stop right there. Now, what hasn't happened? What hasn't happened is that Adam feels lonely and goes to God and says, God, I'm lonely. That did not happen. What does happen is God recognizes that though everything so far has been perfect, very good, awesome, there's one thing that's not right. It's not complete yet. And that is that there is not a helper suitable for Adam. Because what does God say? It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. I will make him a helper fit for him. So, what's not good? What's not good is that there's not a helper fit for Adam. And pay attention to the wording. Helper fit for him. You could say a helper that complements him. So, now pay attention to what happens. What does God do? Now, out of the ground of the Lord, God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call him. And whatever the man called every living creature there, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So you, you would think, you know, you could maybe be reading this and you could think, hey, man, that kind of seems somewhat random. Here God's talking about man. It's not good that man's alone. Uh, I need to make him a help for fit for him. And also now he goes off and uh, Moses starts writing about uh, how Adam's naming all these animals. Um, when we interpret the Bible, uh, one thing that we can see is it's called these. Uh, it's called an inclusio. It's a fancy word to say bookends. Uh, so there can be these. Uh, there can be these themes or these words or these topics or these these doctrines that uh, serve as bookends to a. a, a a passage that helps us understand that everything in between these two bookends is talking about this thing. So we have these two bookends here. Helper fit for him. Read about Adam naming all these animals. And then the very end of that, that passage, but there was not found a helper fit for him. So we know that Adam naming all these animals is is encapsulated and is a part of this this bigger topic or theme right here of finding a helper fit for Adam and his loneliness. And so what does God do? Adam didn't, again, Adam did not come up to God and say, God, I'm lonely. No, God said, it's not good that man is alone. Now I am going to, in a sense, create the feeling or the understanding 
of loneliness in Adam. And I'm going to do that by parading all of these animals that I've created before Adam and let him really think about these animals and name them according to, to their design and how they are and how they function on earth. So Adam is putting a lot of thought into this and he's naming the animals and him naming the animals is also a way for us to understand that he again has dominion over these animals, that he rules over these animals, that he has authority over these animals. Yeah, let me let me add something there. There's a there's uh what well, again what what you're thinking about there's there's this interesting uh, uh dignity that's unfolding here, okay? So yeah. we already yeah. talked about Adam. So Adam even the word Adam uh, is comes out of Adama, which means he's created out of the dust of the ground. We talked about that, but there's this u- unique creation or yep. unique relationship to man to the ground, which has a whole yeah, lot more. We, yeah, we actually see. we ever we actually didn't mention that. Yeah. yeah right. So how I how I said that the Hebrew word uh, man when yeah. you say it uh, Adam it sounds like Adam. Yeah. Uh, but then the Hebrew word for ground or land, you can translate it ground or land. Yeah. Really, it, it, like Dan said, Adama. Right. So Adam comes from even just the language itself, the wording itself. It's 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 very similar. And it, it's so, amazing to so see this a, in the Hebrew. So in the Christ, Christian uh, tradition, that's why if you go to funerals, you know, from the ground you've come and from the ground you return. It's you know yeah. dust. It's this. Yep. But but part of what I want to say right now, as you're thinking about this. Is it's and it's interesting to me, and I don't want to get too far with this, but mankind, okay, mm-hmm. in general, at this point we're talking about Adam, was created from the dust of the ground. Very important. Yeah. So first of all, man literally does have this connection to the earth, mm-hmm. this relationship to the earth. It's interesting to me. We have a connection to the earth, and in. That in itself would be an interesting kind of a theological, experiential discussion to talk about, like, like our interest in the earth. There's something right, right. about us connected to the earth that we, it's very, like my wife has this beautiful garden out back, and there's something very, say, earthy about her working this garden, yeah. okay? So the point, though, is there's something really great there. And then the thing I was t- wanted to get to about the dignity is that it's fascinating to me that God creates this garden and God could have created a garden that cared for itself. Totally. Totally good. See, think about it. He could have said, oh, I'm going to make this thing just work. But he didn't. He created a situation. He breathed life into this atom out of the ground, out of the dust. There's this atom. He breathes this life as we know it, which is all another whole profound thing. I don't know if you ever thought about life. Like life's in right. a seed. You have the seed and you can't see this life. Right. But it's real. It's in there. Yep. Just like there's this life in us. And in a moment, this life could be gone from me. And it's fascinating that when this life leaves from me, within moments, this whole hunk of dust. I'm not trying to be yeah. more. I'm not trying to be more. It starts but, to but, deteriorate. But, but, Go, it goes oh, back into the earth. Instantly. Decompose. It, it is so fast. When you see somebody who has just lost their life, how fast their body starts changing. Yep. Uh, unbelievable. And so in that is this thing called life that we can't see. But it's right. Re- but we all see it around us. It's real, right? And 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 that same thing is in the plants and the animals. That's what I'm going to get at. This right. life. And right. so then Adam, in this dominion we're talking about, actually cultivates the garden. Yeah. He actually does stuff with it. Like he goes up and puts a seed in the ground, if you will, mm-hmm. cultivates that. 
He can't make and create life. No. no so, nobody's ever been able to do that, by the way. Uh, but he can cultivate that thing, and then, like, this magic happens. All of a sudden, it boop, comes out of the ground, turns into a tree even. You know, it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, wow, how did that happen? And I can't really make that happen, but I can cultivate it. That's all I want to say. There's this wonderful right. picture here. And then, um, and included in that too, then, is that when he brings these animals to him, it's the same sort of thing. It's like he brings animals to Adam. He could have said, hey, this is this, this is this, this is this. God didn't. He said, I want you to name no. them. I want, I, yeah. want, I want you to name them. So there's another picture going on here then, is that, and we didn't get into it in the whole Genesis discussion, but it, but it fits. And I want, I want us to see all this. Early on in the Genesis discussion, there's always this picture of what God is doing is bringing order out of disorder. Yeah. You know, uh, order out of chaos. You see yeah. that all the time. That's what God's doing. Well, Adam, created in the image of God, is doing the same thing. Mm. See, when you think of cultivating a garden, you're, you're, you're working it. You're doing stuff, putting in rows. Yeah. There's a purpose. There's a goal. Yeah. There's a, and, yeah. Pruning, trimming, whatever you're doing. There's a you're, plan. You're, you're bringing order. And, and in addition to that, then, when he names animals, think about that. You're bringing order because it even says, name that, how's it say it? Uh, uh, gave names to all the cattle and birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. Uh, there was another part of that translation. But basically, he's looking at these animals and he's naming them in a sense of how he creatively sees them made. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so, anyway, I'll, I'll let it go at that. But he's bringing order to the world around him is, is, is the point. Right, right. Okay. So, all this to say that this this naming thing going on right here is connected to this 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 broader theme of, hey, God has said that there's not there's not a helper fit for Adam. Uh, it's not good that man is alone. Adam does not presently feel this loneliness, or ha he hasn't recognized this reality yet. So now he's named all these animals. And But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Mm -hmm. So we start to see Adam recognizes this reality. He, here he's just interacted with all these animals, all these amazing animals and birds that God has made. I mean, amazing. Like I, I, I'm a. I mean, I love animals. I tell you what, I, I majored in zoology in undergrad. I wanted to be a wildlife, bio, but wildlife biologist. I mean, I had every pet imaginable when I was a kid. I love animals. <laughs> so, I mean, you put me in a, you put me in a situation where I have every animal and I get to interact with it. I'm in kind of like heaven right now. <laughs> Doctor Doolittle, man. Doctor Doolittle. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So let, I let, love animals. Let me ask you something, Sam. Would you make an assumption then here? That there's male and female animals. I would. I'm. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. No, it doesn't specifically say that, but I'm assuming that that's the case. Right. And, and I wonder if that's part of. Adam. And he's starting to see these matched pairs in a sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wouldn't. I'm sure that I'm sure you can make that assumption. That's part part of it. Yeah. The 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 thing that's coming out of it though is for sure. Here's the reality. Yeah. After having interacted with all these animals, he recognizes yep. and it's complemented by a feeling even that there is not none of these animals are actually like me yep. and part of this recognition is 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 twofold one none of them are like me and 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 that i i feel this you could say this this connection into them or this intimacy with them or this this likeness with them they're different 
and we could even say a, a, a sexual attraction too. Uh, uh, two, I'm I'm in authority over every single one of them. None of them are at my same level. None of them are image bearers like I am. None of them are are called to rule all of the mm-hmm. all of this created world like I am. So I, I'm still above everything else, and nothing is like on my level yet. And it makes me feel lonely. I'm the only one of my kind. I'm the only image bearer of God, and I, I I feel lonely. You can just imagine. I mean, we've all felt loneliness. We know what this feels like. Come on. So he's feeling it. And again, you could say a feeling of loneliness isn't inherently bad either. Like we were created for each other. We created for relationship. So Adam feels this this feeling. So what does God do? Because God is God is planning things here. He's He's working and He's He's making things come about here. And and so so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took out one of his ribs. So this is again. I'm going to stop here and say another thing. Every detail is extremely significant and important. Don't miss these details. Don't miss them because they're important. God has purpose and meaning behind the words that He has inspired. This is His word. He's not random with what he says. So, cause a deep sleep uh, to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took out one of his ribs, closed it up, and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and brought her to the man. Then the man said, "This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman." For she was taken out of man, or the Hebrew, she shall be called Isha, for she was taken out of Ish. So, I mean, <laughs> it's really incredible. Here you have a man, Adam. He was created from the dust of the earth. And we see that in the language, too. Adama, like you literally see it, Adam is... is the word Adam or man is in the word ground. Now you have this woman, not created from the dust of the earth, but created from the man, from his rib, from his side. Ah, but you missed a word, Sam. Oh, did I? Yeah, she wasn't created from it. She was fashioned. Fashioned, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I like that. I do. It's, It's pretty amazing. It is so fashioned. Adam is Adam is this one flesh. Now part of his flesh, his rib, is taken out of him. God fashions this woman from this rib, from Adam's flesh, and then she is brought back in a circle. Think of this circularly, brought back to Adam, and he wakes up, and God presents this woman before him. Who was created from him. So just like, again, wording is incredible. You see this in the Hebrew language. Uh, the word for woman, isha, is 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 so closely related to the, the word man, Adam, or I mean, or ish. Just like the word Adam, Adam is, is so closely related to the, the word ground, Adama. So you see this, these connections here. So again, circle. Piece of flesh, rib taken out of man, his flesh... Formed into a woman, God obviously breathed the breath of life into her, gave her life, made her a living being. She's created, formed in the image of God. She's also an image bearer. We saw that in Genesis 1. And she's brought back to Adam. And then he says this. He responds in poetry. (laughs) 
literally. He responds in poetry. He's just seen all these animals. At last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. You are like me. You are in the same likeness of me. I mean, it's amazing. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And here we get Adam just named all of the animals. And it, and it, and it, and it represents his, his authority or you could say uh, leadership over these animals. Now, and these are details, again, that's, this is where you can start to feel uncomfortable depending on what you've previously believed. But right now we see that Adam is the one that names her. So just as he's named all the animals, he also names the woman. She shall be called woman. And it's with intent and it's with thought. He names her woman because she was taken out of man. So he's thinking about these things. And this is where we really start to see this, this, this idea of male headship. So just as mankind, man, comprised of both man and woman, male and female, have dominion or authority over all of the created world, we also see that man has leadership, and we like to say headship, over women. Now, we'll, we'll flesh that out because, again, a connotation words, headship, leadership, uh, we, we, you can inst- instantly run to conclusions that you are not supposed to run to because we have not, you, you have no right to run to those conclusions yet. We're not there yet. We're not to the, we're not to sin. We're not to the fall yet. So understand that this is before any, any sin is tainted to the world. Yeah. Where anything bad happens, there is no such thing as male dominance yet. Where, where the man uses his strength and his authority to domineer over the woman. That doesn't exist yet. So don't even go there yet. <laughs> we'll get to that when we, when we get to the fall. But that's not the reality right now. The reality is that Adam still has headship over his wife, over this woman. And, and, and we see that by him naming her. Yeah, and... And it's good. And, and God earlier in 18 said that he was going to make a helper suitable for him. Yep. And so Adam's not the helper for Eve. Eve's the helper for him. But even yes. this word helper, the actual word, again, if we do our word studies... Uh, God's referred to the same title of helper. I, I picked out a couple of them to look at, um, if I can find them here. Like um, uh, Psalm thirty-three twenty, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Mm-hmm. So the very thing that Eve is being said, that she is Adam's helper, Psalm 33 is saying God is our helper. Literally the same word, the same idea. So God even takes a role throughout the scriptures. You could go to Psalm 70. I looked that one up too. Um, there were a few of these. Um, Psalm 70, verse 5, uses the same idea. 75, but I am afflicted and needy. Hasten to me, God. You are my help and my deliverer. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord, do not delay. And so this idea of God being a help, and, and why we, you know, we're starting to build the case here is that that that's not an inferiority. That's not a no, that's not a negative thing, because even right. God has that role. The living God of the universe right. is called the same thing in various places in the scripture. Right. And so the point, though, is at this point, as again, we're laying pieces on the table. She was created out of Adam, like Adam was created out of the dust of the ground. She yep. was created out of Adam yep. as a suitable helper for him. 
Yeah. Again, we're not at the fall yet. So she wouldn't have resisted that. She'd say, oh, that's, this is, this is where I fit. That's this, how I was made. This is what I was, I was made for. I was made for this. Oh, I, uh, this is good. Very good. I find great Don't. pleasure in this. This is like, like, like I'm like to Adam, like God is like to Adam. I, I, I have a role I play that completes this whole opportunity yeah. that we have dominion over the world, dominion over right. the earth. Right. And so, and, and we start to see this, like, again, we're image bearers of God. Yeah. So certainly God, you know, especially we see this so clearly with Christ. Christ is the head of his church, his bride, and the bride, the church submits to his headship. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And man, it's it's tremendously awesome. Yeah. But but God is also reserved, you know, referred to as a helper. The Holy Spirit is 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 considered the helper. So this is where we start to see these these you could say facets uh, coming out in man and woman on how they image God. Yeah. And so the point in that is simply, and again, this is going to start developing now, and it makes people nervous. But we have to put the pieces on the table. Um, the way she was created out of Adam as this helper suitable for him is this role that she plays where both of yeah. them both of them are co-equal with God but yep. she but she has a different role yeah than Adam has right she has a different role now not right. to not to get too freaked out yet but realize that earlier in in Genesis 1 there's an allusion to the trinity let us make God in our image yep we could say the same exact thing about the trinity yeah. Co-equal, three persons yep. with three different roles. Okay? So at this right. po- point, God... We... Go ahead. Right. Okay. Oh, I mean, I like I liked the way uh, um, that... Um, oh, man, why am I thinking of the author of this right now? Uh, R- Ray Ortland says this. Uh, when it, within the Holy Trinity, the Father leads, the Son submits to him, and the Spirit submits to both. And that's called the economic trinity. But it is also true that the three persons are fully equal in divinity, power, and glory, yeah. the yeah. ontological trinity. Right. The son submits, but not because he is God junior or, inf- or an inferior deity. The ranking within the Godhead is part of the sublime beauty and logic of true deity. And, it, and if our creator exists in this manner, should we be surprised and offended if his cre- creaturely analog on earth exists in, in paradoxical form as well? Right. So. That's the point. If God is seeking to display his his nature, display his glory in his creation, it's it I mean it makes perfect sense that he would create people, humanity, mankind if they're created in his image in a way like he operates as a trinity where you have complete equality, complete sameness but different role. Yep. So, to sum that up, uh the paradox is this. God created male and female in his image equally, but he also made the male the head and the female the helper. Mm-hmm. Different role. And I want to say this too, because this is where if we start to impose our our preconceptions that we are, have been formed in us from the world's ideas of this reality, then that's where we start to get into some problems. Because the world's perception and definition of equality is complete equality in every, every regard. Every regard. You have to have a complete equality in role, a complete equality in outcome, complete equality in opportunity, complete equality in everything. Everything. Mm-hmm. But the Bible does not have that idea anywhere. You can't find it anywhere in the Bible. 
uh, Ray Orland says this, God does not value intellectual or ascetic equality among people. He does not value equality in finances, talents, and opportunity. It is God who deliberately ordains inequalities in many aspects of our lives. And he yep. goes, and because God is also wise, I further conclude that the unlimited equality must be a false ideal. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you didn't quite get here, but notice that verse 24, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and there shall become one flesh. There's a yeah. re- reuniting of this one flesh. It started out of that, the ground. That's the beautiful thing, yep. And then you have Adam, who was created out of the ground, and then out of his rib comes this woman, and now there's a reunion of that. Yeah. In their essence, in the in their role, and in, in, uh, in the the sexual union, it's no no question that's and it fits yep. to, it fits together. That's the point. The whole thing is in harmony and it fits together. Remember, this is before the fall, right? And 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 they fit together. And, and and another thing that as you just read that, see, we have to realize that it's not inferiority. Nope. In fact, sub, we could use the word subordination, right? Subor- yeah. Subordination is not inferiority. Subordination no. is a position. Like I'm subordinate, I to obviously I'm subordinate to God. I'm, I'm yep. accountable to God and subordinate to God. Uh, the, in the Trinity, like you said, in the roles of the Trinity, there's subordination. Uh, I'm yeah. subordinate to uh, 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 an employer. Uh, yeah, and so you're subordinate to the elders of your church. Doesn't mean inferior. See, right. remember, because we're all created in the image of God. So there's a subordination. So what we have here is we have the head, a man. We have the subordination woman. And then the next subordination, which is amazing, when they come together in a reunion of their flesh, what do they do? Children. Children. Procreation. They create life. Yep. And they, they meaning children, then subordinate to mother and father. The parents. Right. Yep. And there's that 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 level of subordination. Again, not inferiority. It's a- so, so for some people, again, that might get freaked out on this, this is not saying literally in this case, let's talk about, uh, I think you just read the quote by Ray Ortland. Talk about intelligence. Talk about giftedness. Yep. Literally. Beauty, this, aesthetics, right, how so, you look. So literally in this moment, seriously, between Adam and Eve, she may have been a way more drop dead gorgeous beauty than him. Yeah. <laughs> she may have been intelligently higher IQ than him. Yeah. She may have had all sorts of giftedness that that out that out outdid him. It's right. it's not saying based that, upon the world's standards. Yeah, it's say, not saying ma- that. It's saying that he took no. these he, he put them together in this union right. where in their roles they have their proper place. Right. And they fully enjoy that proper place. Exactly. And now we're it's getting good. A, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but we need to make a point of that because you will see as this unfolds when we get to the fall, this is yeah. the this is the exact thing that gets jacked up. Oh they're spo- wait till we get there. They're both gonna be in the image of God. They both have this same playing field of equality as image bearers. They yep. have these callings and and we're gonna see chaos comes in yep. and gets them to question that whole thing. Oh man, and that, that we're getting way ahead of so, but that lends itself to the oh. the entire discussion we're having today. It's not new. This is not a new mm-hmm. discussion. It's crazy. Okay, I know. So, oh. right, right. I mean, again, Adam as being the man, 
as being a man, created by God as a man, yep. is the head. So think of it, initiator, leader, pursuer. Yep. Um, yep. There's all these words that can go with that kind of character. She is the yep. helper, uh, uh, comes alongside, uh, yep. receptive. And, Nurturer, and, yep. uh, encourager. It's, it's all yep. kind of wrapped up in that imagery of those two coming together as complementing one another to have dominion over this whole shooting match. Yep. Oh, it's it's great. It's good. It's good. You have to understand this is good. This is how yeah. God created us. Yeah. Oh, and they you were, have to understand yeah. this. And they were naked and unashamed. They weren't ashamed. Yeah. Uh, and that's the amazing thing. There they were. Here They're, Again, this is the point. This is where you... <laughs> Ray Ortland brought up some examples of some feminist scholars where they, they talk about, well, you know... They interpret that as it's just like this whole like, well, you need you need to write to your privacy type of thing. And this over individualistic you as an individual, even in marriage, still have the right to your privacy. You need you need your you need your privacy type of thing. And it's like (laughs) there is no there is no perception or even idea of that here that the man and the woman as one flesh. Literally, Eve was made from Adam's flesh and brought back to Adam. And now they reunite back together in the sexual in sexual intercourse as man and wife, husband and wife, this beautiful covenant before God, they're one flesh again, and they're they're one. They're one. There is no such thing as your privacy like type of thing. You are one. Yeah, and again <laughs> again we keep emphasizing it. I think we've said it a number of times. I've said it, you said it. This is before the fall. Yeah. And so you have to understand like there's no tension here for them. This ten- no, there's ten- no awkwardness, again, there's again, no uncomfortability, this gets there's back, no embarrassment. Right, so why this is important is this will get back to um, how we tend to take things from somewhere else and read them into a text. Yeah. You have to get yourself in this text at this moment and go, listen, they don't have this conflict. She totally enjoys being woman taken out of yeah. Adam. He totally yeah. enjoys being man and caring for her and giving her security and navigating the garden together and working in the garden together. They are not having squabbles. They're not having conflicts. They're not having fights. They're not like, well, I want to do it this way and you want to do it this way. They're not having conflict. uh, You know, I mean, I suppose you could even say they're not even having sexual conflict. It's totally like it, it actually fits and works and they're unashamed and there's no conflict. Right. That you got to get your mind around that, like this, yeah. and it's very good, and it's the way it was. So the very good. Let me just say, Sam, that goes back. Don't forget what we're doing here. There was the thirty thousand view. Yeah, Adam and Eve were created Genesis one. Now we went right. into the detail. So when you got to the end of Genesis one, very good. That's the point right this here. Is, this is this that. is in that. This yeah. is that. This is this. Yep. Th- this is like awesome, very good, no conflict. The way it was supposed yep. to be. Go party in the garden. Have a great time. Uh, your job's right. a great job. Your provision is great. You got all the food you need. You got you're, all the comfort you need. Companionship together. You get to enjoy each other. Uh, he even created them physically to enjoy this pleasure with each other. Oh, man. It's yeah, like, they're intoxicated by each other. Yeah, what a cool God created him with, God created him with hormones. Like, I mean, yep. I mean, think about if you're if you're listening to this and you're married and you experience the, yep. the amazing thing of marital bliss, sexual intercourse in a marriage in this covenant. Like they're experiencing that, yes. and even more so because there's no sin jacking up your mind when you're going and you know right. and having it, intercourse with your wife or your husband. And and this and the big thing then this leads to life. Think of that life, 
out of this comes more life. And God commanded, be fruitful and multiply. Create life. Do yeah. this. And, and Sam had talked <laughs> about in our uh, hermeneutical principles, he was talking yeah. about this, this uh, was it doctrine of creation, Sam? And you mentioned a handful of these things. Remember you talked oh, about the creation ordinances, the creation ordinances. And one of them was this issue of life, life. See, yep. see, just like God brought life to this dust called Adam out of the dust of the ground, yep. he breathed life into it. Adam and Eve now participate in the garden, right. participate with naming the animals and they participate in the most profound thing, creating new human life. Right. And, and that's why today when we see this thing of abortion, it is the most appalling, the most sadistic evil yep. you could ever imagine. It's you can't overstate how sadistic and evil and sick and satanic abortion is. Yep. Here you are experiencing the creation of life, and you're killing it in the womb. It's unbelievable. And it, it, It's it, an atrocity. Well, and it is, since we're sticking in the scripture here, we're talking about incredibly divine things. Wouldn't, yeah. it, wouldn't it be just like an enemy to attack right. the most most central um, divine knowledge, divine thing that God created in the middle of the garden, Adam and Eve, yep. their, their relationship, who they're supposed to be, who they are, they produce life, and at every level that gets attacked by the evil well, one. That, think about this. Think about the things that are under attack in our culture today. Well, that's me in the world. Think about it. It's, it's, think about it. It's these, it's these things. That's the thing. It's yep. these things yep. that the enemy, the Satan is coming to get. He's coming to get life. He's coming to get manhood. He's coming to get womanhood. He's coming to get marriage. He's coming to get sexuality. And he wants to flip it all the way upside down and get you so messed up and so confused because these are the things that are so foundational. These are the very good things. <laughs> I don't even know how to, I, I, I can't yell loud enough to get the point across no, for this. You're preaching, brother. You're preaching. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Every time I feel like I get fired up. Okay, so I'm going to put a, Ray Ortland gives a tremendous definition to what male headship is. And this is, this is a good definition for what we've gotten to so far. And that is in the partnership of two spiritually equal, again, listen, in the partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, man and woman, the man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. An amazing thing. So, And by the way, we will see a bunch more here that we need to get to in the fall yep. that, that will make it even clearer. I mean, I think it's, yeah. already, it's already clear in the text, but you're yep. going to see it's even clearer. And let me just tip clear. my hand because God comes and holds man accountable, Adam accountable for this whole thing. Oh, here we go. Now he holds so them both accountable, but he he the primary accountability yep. is Adam. So just okay, you'll, here we go. Yep, let's go. This is insightful. Yep. Uh, starting in chapter three, verse one, the fall. Now, now we get another player. <laughs> yeah. We've had we've had uh, th let's say three parties. We have had God, and we've had man, and we've had woman. Now we have a fourth player in the in this narrative here in the garden. Yeah. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So he's talking about Satan here. Right. And can I say he a said to woman. Can I say yeah. a couple of things about that? Just again, if we start digging the language, it's a fascinating session. First of all, you have the serpent. Okay. Yep. So with the definite article. Yep. The serpent. Like yep. like the it, it, it's serpent. like a name. It's like a proper noun. Yep. It can be. Yep. And then further, uh, not only the serpent, but 
in remember we talked about culture and context in this near ancient eastern time when Moses is writing yeah the, remember the, he's writing this to an, the nation of Israel they just got saved out of of slavery in Egypt yep and they're ready to head into this pagan land the promised land yep. with all these pagans near ancient eastern all these pagan peoples and it would be like somebody writing to us today in our context well, they're very familiar with the context around them. And in that context around them, the evil one, the serpent, there are stories of this evil serpent or the snake or the serpent in the near ancient East. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it, those things have spread since the beginning of creation through, through oral communication. And so they, they, you know, they know about these things. But here's what's interesting. Whenever the serpent shows up in any of this near ancient Eastern, which they're just taking pieces of the true story and it kind of gets twisted into false legends and things, but there is these elements. There's the element of the serpent. There's the element of the snake. And along with that always comes the idea of chaos. Right. The, the idea is when right. this serpent shows up, he's bringing disorder out of order. Yep. So if you're at this time and you're reading this, you're going, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he that, Moses, yeah, that, saying dir it. Yep. that dirty evil one. Is yep, showing up. bad's going to happen now. Y yep. Okay, go ahead. Okay, here we go. So, here he comes. He said to the woman, oh, notice right away, who, who is he talking to? Who is he talking to? He's not talking to Adam. He's not talking to the man. He goes to the woman. Keep that in mind. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Okay, let's, let's stop at that. What did God actually say? What did God actually say? Let's go back to Genesis 2. And we see, uh, where, where were we at? Verse uh, uh, 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. So now, here comes Satan to Eve. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? <laughs> that's, that's not quite right. <laughs> so, what's, what, what's Satan doing? Why is he doing this? He is a, he is a, he is a cunning he is brilliant. I mean, we know further on that Satan indeed is a fallen angel. He's he's brilliant. He knows he knows everything uh, about what God has already spoken. He he knows these things. I mean, he's not omni om, omniscient like God is, but he he's he's obviously a brilliant uh, creature. So he's very deceptive, very calculated. Knows what he's doing. The great deceiver is a good one to think about. He's yeah, a deceiver. great deceiver. Remember, deceiving oh, man. means he's tricking you. He's tricking you. Yeah. So he's so he's starting he's starting to play his cards here in a trick. Yep. Okay. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So what's he doing? He's instantly questioning God's overwhelming generosity to mankind. And the woman said to the serpent, "Okay, can, we I, may can not... I stop you right oh, yeah. there? Okay, a yep. couple other little little side notes that are important. First of all, how is it that the woman knew to how to respond to serpent? Well, based on what we've been reading so far in this text, and Adam being the leader, if you remember, it was it was um, Adam that God told the rules of the garden to, if you will. He's the one that right. God had commanded this to Adam. So while, again, you could say it's called an argument from silence, meaning God may have showed up a subsequent time and talked to the woman and told her the same thing. But, or right when he created her, he gave her this yeah, same commandment. He, he could have done that. That could be. But clearly... As the flow here is of Adam naming animals, and Adam was the lead and uh, the initiator, it would have been very consistent with this nature we're seeing unfallen that it's likely that Adam told her the rules. 
Yeah. So the reason she knew about this is Adam had told her. Yeah. Adam clearly and, knew. And, the... and that's a it's a pretty strong consensus within the conservative uh, yeah. field of 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 uh, her... scholarly work on this that it's it's likely the case that Adam was the one that, that taught Eve the commandment of God. Yeah. Yeah. So there again, that would be one of those things we talked about in hermeneutics. You could overstate, understate. It doesn't change any doctrine one way or the other. But, no, but, but it doesn't change male headship. It doesn't change anything. But there's a likelihood that that's what happened here. And then, yep. um, and he said to the woman, uh, has God said, and then uh, I think you're going to get to it to Sam, but there's something he's doing with this woman in this very moment. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Because we like to address so, this. Go ahead. So he's, he's certainly questioning God's generosity. And the woman said to the serpent, we may not eat of the fruit of the trees. Uh, we, we may eat, sorry, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, so now she's, she's, she's uh, you could say, quoting God. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Okay. Something's not right here. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Okay, one, she, she, two things are up here. One, she doesn't say the actual name of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the midst of the garden is also the tree of life. So in the midst of the, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So both are in the midst of the garden. So she doesn't actually clarify which one she's talking about. She says, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. So, she doesn't clarify. She says nothing about the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She says nothing about the tree of life. She just says, there's this tree in the midst of the garden. We shall not eat of that, nor shall we touch it. So, one, she's being vague. She's not being specific on what God said. Two, she's misquoting God by saying and adding to the word of God by saying you shouldn't touch it. He never said that. He never said that. A couple, a couple other things you'll notice here, too, in this. Um, I'm, I'm jumping back up, Sam, as I'm looking at my yep. note, as I'm listening to you. Go ahead. Keep preaching. But notice in the in that first verse, it says, of the field which the Lord God had made. That's that's Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh. Yep. Old yep. Testament Yahweh, like the big guy, God. The Lord. Yep. And notice we often have it capitalized, L-O-R-D, all yep. capitalized. Yeah, and that's the way it is in my NASB. But, yep. but, but Satan said... Indeed, has God. He didn't call him Lord God. He called him Elohim. No, he said Elohim. Yeah, almost Elohim. like almost yep. almost like this, with a small G. <laughs> yeah, like yep. like let's demote him from his p position and just kind of talk about the God with a small G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a sense, that's what he's doing. And mm. the other thing he's doing that's very interesting here now, though. Okay, just get what get what's happening here. Some decisions haven't even been fully made yet. But why is Eve even having this conversation? Exactly. See, he's coming in and he is getting her to um, do a couple things. First of all, she has to sort of defend God. Yep. Defend his word. Yep. And now, because of what he's asking her, she has to try to decide what the truth and the error is. Yep. Am I going to believe what God says or am I going to believe what the serpent says? Yep. So she's been put in this really interesting position, dangerous position that she should have never Very been put dangerous. in. When he showed up and began to question her, let me give you the contrast, getting a little ahead of ourselves, but we'll see it in the future. 
Here's the big contrast for you Christians that kind of know your Bibles. Do you remember when Satan showed up to Jesus in the temptation and he said things to Jesus? What did Jesus say? Jesus quoted the very word of God. Word of God, perfectly. See, she didn't do that. No. That's the point. Okay? So, right. So go ahead, Sam. Carry on. <laughs> there was a couple of thoughts I have on my notes here. So. Oh, it's great. It's great thoughts. So, so notice her response. One, she doesn't. She's she's overly vague. She doesn't. She doesn't lay out the differences between the knowledge of, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Two, she says she adds to the word of God. You shall not touch it. God never said that. And three, she's. So I said two. There's actually three. And then she says, "Lest you die." God says, "Not lest you die." He said, "You you shall you shall surely die." So again, we see this in the Hebrew, this amplification of the word die. She she brings that down a level. And she just says, lest you die. But no, it's surely die. So she's she's taken away the consequences. Ah, it's not that big of a deal. Lest you die. Not, you shall surely die. So doing three things. Something got messed up there. Something got jacked up. And there's two possibilities. Uh, one, she should have, ne- well, okay. One, she should have never been in this situation. Because the point of male headship is that Adam should be in the situation. And that's why Satan went to Eve. He went to Eve because Satan knew the divine order, the divine hierarchy, you could say. He knew that God had made man the the leader, the head, the representative of this, this amazing pair of man and woman. He knew that. He knew that. So he's seeking to usurp this, to flip it all upside down. And so who does he go to? He goes to the woman instead of the man. And now, Eve is left having to defend the word of God, a place she shouldn't have been at. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam should have been there. He's the, he, so, if I could just throw it out, guys, we're getting ahead a little bit, but keep thinking. Adam was supposed to be the defender. Yeah. <laughs> that make, doesn't that make sense? Even biologically, the defender? The defender. Uh, that's not worth Protector. Satan, Satan didn't yep. go there. It, no, of course he didn't. He's he's the ultimate deceiver. Yep. He's trying to bring chaos, and he certainly does. So, now, oh, what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought now. Well, you've got through the three things here, right? Don't yeah, I did. I got through the three things. What was I was going to say something else. Ah, whatever. Maybe it'll come back to me. Okay. We'll just keep moving on. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now, <laughs> this is incredible. So she just said, Lest you die. Now, Satan is actually quoting the original commandment, you shall not, you shall surely die. So he doesn't say, you shall, you will not die, or kind of what you may not die, or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, you may not die. He's actually quoting the original commandment, which means that Satan indeed had knowledge of the original commandment. He knew what God's commandment was. So he's not actually quoting. The original commandment. He's using the words of the original commandment, but he changes it. Yeah. The original yeah, commandment right, yeah. is you surely you will shall surely, surely die. die. Now what's yeah. he say? Satan says. You're not, you shall, yeah, you, sh- you will not surely die. But he uses the word surely. Yes, that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. Yeah. Yep. He's using so the it's same, very interesting. Yeah. So he counters God. Yep. 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 So he's saying something totally contradictory to God. And yep. now Eve is left in this predicament. Satan says this thing. God says this other thing. They're in contradiction. So, Here we go. Yep. Our, our, so, so we know she, logic. Yep. So she has to discern truth from error. Yep. And there's this possibility put before her. Yeah. Right? 
There yep. might the possibility, folks, listen now. The possibility is, oh, maybe I can interpret God's word a little different. Mm, and here's this, and so this is what Ray Ortland says. Uh, so Satan's lie, it was a big, it was a, it was a lie big enough to reinterpret all of life and attractive enough to redirect Eve's loyalty from God to self. There it is. The possibility. Hmm. Yep. Maybe. And re- remember what I, remember what I said, what, what podcast was it? I don't remember which one it is where I, where I talked about Eve a little bit. And I talked about how when she is left now weighing between God's word and, and Satan's word, she becomes the ultimate authority because now she thinks she has the ability to properly make a decision of who's right and who's wrong. Aha. Uh-huh. And we've been using this term in a number of podcasts. I'm sure you've used them in other ones. She, yep. she is autonomous. Autonomous at this point, right here. She has put herself in a position where she doesn't have to depend on the word of God. Remember again, I gave you a little bit of a contrast. Remember when Jesus was tempted and then Jesus would say, what do we live on? But we live on, how does man live on every word that comes from the mouth of God? And when Satan showed up to Jesus, he quoted scripture. Yep. Well, she changed it. She didn't quote it. It kind of gets turned. A possibility comes in her mind. And all of a sudden she's put in a position. Hmm. Maybe I can reinterpret the interpret this the way I want. Yeah. And make yeah. it make it fit what I want it to fit. Yeah, yeah. Ray Ray Ortland says this the lie told her that obedience is suicidal. Hmm. Uh, is a suicidal plunge, that humility is demeaning, and that service is servility. And so Eve begins to feel the aggravation of an injustice which in reality does not exist. <laughs> and that's what's incredible because today we have this crazy, I mean, man, how often do we hear injustice, injustice, injustice? And certainly there is a lot of injustice today. We live in a post-fall world. But part of it too is sometimes people are calling injustice that actually doesn't exist. And this is the reality right here. Eve is thinking something, God is doing something unjust. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Satan is deceiving. So let's, let's continue in this, 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 this uh, narrative right here. Wow. Sam, that, that's huge. We're not, we don't need to go down a trail for today, but. Right. I mean, I hope everybody catches how huge that is. See, it's again, huge. again, in worldviews, if you want to say worldviews, you could say, you could say it this way. You could say. Okay, so there's this biblical Christian worldview, which is the real world that God created, and he tells us this is how it works, right? Yep, yep. Then outside of that, you have other worldviews. We've just kind of thrown everything in a hat and said the secular worldview, which is the contrary to God worldview. Yep. Right? And so here's the crazy thing. According to the secular worldview, the Christian worldview is sexist. Yeah. According to the secular world, this is unjust. This is oppression. This is man-crushing woman. Yeah. Now, according to the secular world, it it could look like that, but that's not what it is. No. See, that's the deception. That's the lie. That's the the falsehood of this. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, I'm I'm getting a little ahead. and, 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 And remember, and remember, 
the same serpent, the same Satan that tempted Eve in the very beginning is yep. the same Satan that is working right now in this life deceiving us. So he's making Eve think that there's some injustice when there's really not, and he's doing the same thing today in our country. He's trying to make us think that there's some great injustice in this society and American civilization when there really might not be. So just or, remember or, that. Or Certainly there or, are some injustices. Yeah, I was going to say, or without going off the rabbit trail... Yes, there's some injustice. I would actually say it a little different. I know you're getting excited. Sure. So I would say, <laughs> oh, oh of course there's injustices and they need to be addressed. Yeah. But they may not be to the extent or uh, uh, being applied or, or, or they right. actually, as people are claiming they are because they're coming from a, a different worldview. Yep. So anyway, we need to keep going yeah, yeah. here. But the point is, yeah, is yeah, yes, yeah. He gets her to think there's this injustice, but notice where the injustice ultimately lays. Yeah. The ultimate injustice is with God. God's not being fair to me. Man, and Garrett, that shouldn't God's, even be a thought in her mind. God's keeping things from me. And so you see what she does now. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, okay. So the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of your of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So again, here he's saying, God is in control of all things. He has this secret knowledge that you don't have. And what does Satan taunt, tempt Eve with? Again, autonomy. You can be in control. You can be in, like God. You can be completely sovereign over yourself. Self-governed like God is self-governing. You'll have this knowledge like he is. You'll be like him. And that is the great desire of the flesh that we all feel. We want to be like God. We want to be autonomous. We want to be in control. We want to be the captains of our ships, the determiners of our destinies. Oh, man, there it is right there. And then what does Eve, Eve do? Oh, the temptation worked. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes. Her mouth is watering, it looks nice, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves and together and made themselves loincloths. Hmm. What on earth? So this whole time, her knucklehead husband... He, Adam is standing beside her who was with her this whole time watching this whole thing play out watching this evil serpent tempt his wife and he was with her and then she grabs the, tr the fruit from the tree and she gives it to him and says eat this and he does so let me say a couple things here about this Sam first of all in verse 6 and that the tree was desirable to make one wise okay so she gets to be like God and there's this tree is going to make you wise Another way to think about this, because it fits with yep, much of yep. going on today, is that there's some knowledge here that God's keeping from you. Yeah. And if you were just eat of this, you would have this knowledge that you need. <laughs> yeah, right, right. He hasn't given you everything you need. He hasn't given you everything you need for, if I can just say it, life and godliness. He hasn't really oh, given you everything man. you need. Isn't you, that the issue of the day, too? That's my saying. It's a really interesting thought. Now, you go further here. When you say... Uh, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it, okay? Now, this is yep. one of those statements, okay? You can overread and underread, okay? So let's, yep. let's my, here's my point. We look, at the, we look at the Hebrew. We unpack it. Uh, it could go a couple ways. Good, sure. good, say, commentators, like scholars way beyond me, 
that I, you know, we can go to Ray Ortland, who's this is, you know, Old Testament Hebrew. I mean, he's this is he's a big scholar, and so we could go to others. Yep. It, it 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 could it could could clearly look like literally he's standing there watching this unfold. Yeah. Okay. So you could make that case, and that's fine. Yep. It could also be made, and you don't see it as much, but it could be that when it says um, she gave also to her husband uh, who was with her, meaning it's the husband that's with her in the garden, and maybe he was around the corner on the other side of the bushes or something. Now, here's, yeah. the, here's the point. Even if it was that, okay, the end result is the same, is because when she came to him to give him that, he knew what it was. Yeah. See, either way... He gave into her, whether yep. he was watching the whole thing unfold, which looks like that may be the better, better translation of that, or, right. or excuse me, interpretation of that. But even if he wasn't, we could say, well, it really just means he's in the garden with her. And she kind of walked, you know, around the bushes or around the garden and said, hey, here. Yeah. The, the bottom he line. He knew what it was. He knew what it was. That's the issue. And you'll see here in a minute, he knew what it was. Yep. And so what's going on here that's so fundamental, though, is it's not just that he took it and ate it. Which, I mean, that is the big thing we're watching. But to understand what's happening here, this is a role reversal. Yeah, totally. See, she's, she's not, the one leading now. She's leading now. She leads him towards this temptation. She's been deceived. She's, yep. she's leading him into this. And, yep. and he, again, what should he have done? Ah, time out. Yep, boom. Let's wait, switch it back. Eve. Eve. And he might have even had conflict with her, y'all. I mean, yep. this is an interesting <laughs> conversation in marriage. Seriously. Like, he may yep. have had conflict. And he didn't, yep. he didn't want any problems. He didn't want any conflict with her. It was easier for him to say, let's, yep, let's just, I'll uh, just give it to me. Let's just do it. Yep. The right. whole thing was a role reversal, and he gave into it, which speaks to his passivity, which speaks yep. counter to what he was actually created to be. Yep. And he just did not want to contend with it. So, yeah, give it to me. We'll just go. Yep. Okay. And then they saw that they're naked. They felt the shame. Remember, and, they, and that was counter to 25 where they never felt any conflict. No. Now they no. do. Now they do. Now they do. Okay, here we go. Let's get into verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking. So, uh, okay, wait, Yahweh wait, wait, wait. Sam, Elohim. Hey, let me step back, though, Sam. Uh, verse 7, eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. It's important to understand here, though. Okay, so they're feeling this thing. Yep. And it's it's shame. Uh, it's guilt. It's yep. fear. Embarrassment. And embarrassment. Whatever this is, a lot of times the word I usually use is alienation. There's an alienation yeah. going on inside of them. They don't even probably understand that alienation. They've never experienced it before. Nope, they have no idea. And they, but and now he, it's a reality. And notice what they try to do, though. They try to cover up. Yep. They try... They try to hide. They try to hide. They try to cover this thing up. Yep. The oh, we all know it. Well, the, we all know it. Well, we felt it. Right. It's the natural thing. You want... And yep. you t I mean, it's an interesting thing. You, they're down to a little child. They don't even yep. have to... Concentrate. They, they try to cover up. They try to be, you know... Be sneaky or cover it up or something <laughs> awful so crazy. happens. Yeah. Oh, it's an awful thing. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. And they heard the sound of the Lord God. So Yahweh Elohim. Elohim. Yep. Yep. Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Oh. 
<laughs> which is just a foolish thing because God is omnipresent, omniscient, knows all things, all powerful. Yeah, so you can, can't hide from him. Could I say one other thing? So what I usually think about this is, is, is think what else is happening here. Okay, so they feel the shame. They feel all this stuff. They try to hide themselves. And now really think about this. Actually, what enters in, this is the depravity of our minds. It's not just that they're feeling stuff, which is goofy. And it's not just yeah. they violated the, their will. In other words, they chose to do something they shouldn't have done. Yeah. But they don't even think straight now. No, they, right. Now, now think what I'm thinking about. They know, but even this picture, the picture here is the presence of the God coming in the garden. Probably yep. happened every day. They were always dealing with the presence of God. They enjoyed yep. the presence of God. They lived And that's in the, the beautiful of picture of the garden is it's where man dwells with yeah. God. And and they know who God is. They don't have any conflict with knowing him is. He's the omni God. Yeah. They and know they, this. And they actually think they can hide. Yep. <laughs> It's like stupid. The, it's like it's the, what sin does. It's like the little kid in the corner that covers their eyes and says, "You can't see me." Yep. It's sort of like it's sort of you got to kind of chuckle how irrational it is. This is these yeah. are adult people who actually think they can hide from the omni god. Yep. Crazy. So it's affecting how they feel. It's affecting their will. It's affecting how they think. Their behavior, everything. Yep. It's everything has an effect on it. Okay, remember good. and remember what we say. We we've said it before. I've said it before. Yeah. Uh, what is the depravity of man? It affects every aspect of our being. Our yep. emotions, our affections, our wills, our yep. desires, our knowledge, everything. Yep. Even the way you think. We, People, you're we not, see it right here. Here it is. Your thinking is not autonomous by itself and neutral. <laughs> nope. So we see it here. So But the Lord God called to the man. Oh, here we go. Notice this. Who did he call to? He didn't call to Eve. He didn't call to the woman. He called to the man and said to him, Where are you? <laughs> and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Guilt. He feels guilt. Because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Hey, let's go back you... up. Can I go back up to verse 9 with you a minute? Absolutely. Okay, do you think God knew where Adam was? Oh, of course he did. Well, why did he ask He's him? He's the omni-god. Why is he asking him? He wants to He wants to see if he, uh, I mean, he's in a sense exposing him. Well, he's exposing him, but he's doing something else, really. Here's what he's doing. He's calling Adam to step up to his authentic nature. Ah, there You're the leader. You're the initiator. Where are you? Come forward. Come forward. Stand yep. up, stand. And we all know it too. Stand up and take responsibility. We've all felt this. Our parents, you're a kid. Stand Come up. Come here. Take responsibility. Come up to the plate. <laughs> take responsibility. So he's calling him, really. There's even a sense of dignity here. He's calling him to be Could I say it this way? To be a man. He's calling him to man up. Yep. Man up. Yep. Be a man. Man up. Yep. And and, and he's asking him to man up and he's going to ask him some questions here that God already knows the answers to. Could you imagine? I mean, I mean, you know this is parents too. Uh, you know what your kid did. You know everything about what they did. Mm -hmm. They don't know how much you know. I mean, you're your parent, and you you still just like this. You call them to stand before you, to question them, to see if they're going to fess up or be honest about what happened, even mm -hmm. though you know what happened. Yep, it's incredible. And just imagine, here is Adam being called by the God of the universe who spoke him into existence from nothing yep. to come up and stand before me and I'm going to question you. Yep. I mean, that is terrifying. Yep. 
I mean, no wonder he felt afraid and tried to hide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a part of me, he's being honest, he's like, I was afraid. I was naked, yeah. so I hid myself. Yep. Okay, verse so, 11. He goes, uh, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said. No, again, just think, oh. did, 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 did the man know or did God know the answer to the yep. question? Yeah, okay. Yeah. You do this with your kids. You do this with your kids. And, and he's trying to <laughs> Same not. Same thing. And in this sense, in this sense, he's not only, you could say man up, he's trying to get him to do what? Admit. Admit. Be honest. Which means this. Confess. Which means this. We call it confession. We call it repentance. But think about what it is. Yep. Speak the truth. Yes. Oh. God, when God shows up, it's all about what the truth is. Because God right. is truth. Reality. Right. Just speak the reality. Just put it yep. out here. Oh. So what happens? Oh. And talk about, okay, here, we're going to get into it, but even think about when you confess your sin, even to a brother, mm -hmm. how often do we make it not, we, we leave something out. We don't, we don't say <laughs> it as serious as it actually is. <laughs> we do this I, I all the, the time. I hate the, so, and here it is in Genesis 3, the same thing that we do. So, this is what is so incredible at the Bible. This is what, uh, guys, yeah. this is honestly, this word right here is actually <laughs> written 3,500 years ago. And it speaks exactly to our reality oh, today, oh. to how we still operate. operate. Oh, oh, man, you're getting fired up again, Sam. Well, it's incredible. It's like this Bible is God's inspired word. It's speaking about who I am as well, a human yeah. being right it, now. Think of it in a public way. There's, I have two examples. One is you get these movie stars or these celebrities that do something. You know, they have the, the, the um, what do you call it, the, the costume malfunction. <laughs> Here's their apology. I'm sorry that you were offended. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry that I offended all of you. They didn't even own it. They didn't go, what right. I did was wrong. I'm right. sorry that you were offended. Right. So here we go. It, what, what does Adam say? <laughs> I had another example. Here we I'll go. let it go because you're all fired up. Go. Oh, the woman whom who you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. <laughs> so what does he do? He doesn't lie. He's he's telling the truth, but it's not the whole truth. It's not true reality. He's He's playing the blame game a little bit. He's trying to put it off on something else. So he's blaming the woman and God. He says, the woman whom, well, that's whom really you the gave deal. me. The, well, that's the deal, right? He, yeah. He doesn't... God, this woman that you made for me that I was totally in love with before this, this awesome woman that I just said not too long ago, bone <laughs> on my bone, flesh in my flesh, you know, yeah. finally, at last. I led her. I, saying, I defended her. I protected her. And now yeah. what does he do? Uh, throw her under the bus. This woman that you gave me, God, your fault and this woman's fault. Yeah. Now, before we even go further, I always ask this question, okay? Because this gets at something you say 3,500 years ago written that gets at the heart of every one of us as, as men and women, okay? Think about this yep. now. So he doesn't take the responsibility. He doesn't repent. He blames her and he blames God. Now, remember up back up in uh, chapter 2, verse 25, they never had any conflict before. No. She totally was willing to be his helper in the best sense of that word. We tried to unpack that a little bit. Yep. Totally came alongside him. In a sense, he's, he's the lead. He's the head. I love it. I love my role. We work together to have dominion over this garden. I give him input. He receives it. Uh, he can give me input. I receive it. I come alongside him. What are we doing today? What's your missions today? We're going to prune those trees. Okay, I'm here to help you. She had totally had given herself to him emotionally, 
physically trusted him. And all I want to do is I always ask this question. Women, really, I'd say everybody listen to this right now. I could say it to the men, which we can, but particularly women. What is she feeling in that moment when her knight in shining armor throws her under the bus? Betrayal. I can never trust that bugger again. Yep. And I would tell you, at least, you know, again, why God is giving us this true reality that happened in a true place and, and unpacking it for us this way. In the heart of every man is this passive, I don't want conflict. I don't want to step up to the plate. I want to avoid and blame everybody else and not, yep. not step up to what I, I'm supposed to be. And in the heart right. of every woman, I can't trust him. Right. I, I, I was sort of created to trust him and I want to trust him, but by golly, I can't trust him. And then you think right. of, truly now we're going to get more here, but you think of a fallen world. I just want you to we're jumping ahead because we're going to wrap up our time soon. But the application, seriously, think about this. Like, and I'm not trying to, I want to be careful how I say this, but you take a woman who grew up in a home in life and she experienced mm -hmm. her her sweet little girlish feminine soul being stepped on by a harsh dad or a harsh brother uh, right uh, physical abuse sexual abuse right. oh my goodness already wired into her into her sinful nature is never trust a guy again and now right. uh, she's actually had experiences that just confirm that right imagine now right and you wonder why we're living in a world where we want women want to come up with an alternative to protect themselves and guys want to come up with an alternative to get their way the way they want. Uh, I mean, it just, it all adds up. Right. And here's, here's the outworkings of this because yep. this is reality. You can study this and yep. this is an example. So if, if a woman experienced sexual abuse as a, as a child and she was taken advantage of in a horrible, wicked way, uh, and she was, you know, this person went against her will. Now she doesn't trust. And so and instead, in the future, what eventually she'll end up doing, usually this is how it works, is she'll take the initiative in the sexual in sexual intercourses. And she'll, she'll, in a sense, be sexually promiscuous and pursue things so that a guy can't take advantage of her. In a sense, she takes advantage of guys in an, in an interesting way. And likewise, a guy... In his passiveness, he'll look for the, the simplest of gratifications in his passive self, and usually that goes to pornography or going to a strip club where there's no effort at all, and he'll just passively do this, this thing where, where he doesn't actually have to work towards it or do any pursuit at all. And so those are kind of this, these gross ditches that it can go into, and it's, it's unfortunately how it is, but again, we'll get more to that later of how this stuff works out, but... So, verse 13. Where are we at here? 13. Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Which was which tr is, which is true. True. Yep. So, the so Lord God said to the serpent, yep. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field and, all, and your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat in all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is an interesting thing. I mean, we're talking about manhood and womanhood. This is to Satan, but it's in a sense, 
Again, remember what Dan said in the episode before. We're we're getting these these glimmers of a of a greater reality to come. Uh, in a sense, he's talking about Christ is going to is going to crush Satan. Um, yeah, and Christ will be born of a woman. Yeah, Mary. Ju- just quickly look at look at the detail there in this ancient language. So, and between your seed is the yep. NASB. Yours is offspring. Now, here's why that's interesting. The yep. wor- just think in the English. Again, I know you have other people from other countries right now, but at least in the English, the way it's translated here, seed, S-E-E-D, can be a singular or a plural. It's spelled right. the same way. Right. O- offspring's the same way. Offspring could be an individual one or yep. many. And so the very yep. language here says between your seed and her seed, okay? Your offspring, Satan, probably not one, but many that come off of Satan, yep. and her seed, which could at that point, just that in the text, her seed or her offspring could be a singular or a plural. Yep. But it gets defined right there as a singular because look what the next word is. He, which, he. Is, which is a singular masculine, yep. sh- shall bruise you on the head Yep. and you shall bruise him on the heel. He will strike a death blow to you, Satan. Yep. Whoever this he is, that's the seed yeah. of the woman. Isn't it woman. interesting? This is not the seed of a man. This is the seed of nope. a woman. And it yep. could be single or plural. And it's going to strike this blow, death blow to Satan. And Satan's going to blow a wound to yep. this he. Okay? Good enough. That's amazing. And I hope you guys catch this. This is an allusion, clearly, to the coming Messiah, born of a woman. Yep. And he's yep. going to crush Jesus Christ. Head. Yep. And then... Jesus is what? The firstborn amongst many brethren. Yep. There's going Amazing. to be an entire offspring, a entire line. Yeah. That's going of to God's be, people. His God's people. He adopts. Yep. There's going to be an entire line off this woman. Yep. Amazing. Now okay. to the woman. To the woman, he said, I will surely, again, we see this word surely <laughs> amplified. I will surely multiply. So here we get some consequences. Here we get some consequences. And notice how the consequences are given. They're given in accordance. I'll preface it. They're given in accordance with role. So I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. So the woman's role, one of her amazing roles, is to bear children and nurture children. It's amazing. Like we, we even today know bio, biological things about this that are unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like the fact that the woman, I can't remember the exact number, but the woman can hear like 15 more tones of sound than the man can so that she can understand the subtleties of a baby's cry and understand what the baby needs more than the man can. I mean, her honestly, though, her breasts, just her body are made to nurture a baby and take care of a baby. She really does indeed produce milk for a baby to survive. She she carries the baby in her womb. And and then it's it's interesting. You get to skin into some details though. But the baby's saliva, the the nipple of a woman's breast actually has these these receptors, and the the saliva of a baby will go into these receptors. And the, honestly, these it's an incredible. I don't know exactly how it works, but these receptors analyze the baby's saliva and can actually determine if the baby has some type of malnourishment. And the body then will produce. Uh, the breast milk in a certain way to correspond to what the baby needs. Like, they didn't know this, but we know this now. God is incredible in how he designs a woman. Her role really, her primary role really is to nurture children. And so what's the consequence? Now you will, uh, in pain you shall bring forth children. So now uh, bearing children is going to be painful. And we know that. Obviously us men have no idea, but 
we've been told that it's quite excruciating. <laughs> so, and the consequence and, is in accordance with the role. And then keep going. There's another huge consequence. Yep. And here it is. This is huge. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Mm-hmm. So, we have this interesting thing. And here's where we pull in context. If we are having a under, hard time understanding what a word means, uh, the, we go in concentric circles. So we start with uh, the same book. We, we try to get as close to the, to the present context as we get. So we have this word, your, des- your desire, desire. Now, what does that mean? So where is this word desire used in the closest place to the context of Genesis 3, verse 16? Well, if we go over one more chapter... Genesis 4, verse 7. Go there with me if you have a Bible or you can just listen. It says this. Um, so, you know, we have this narrative of Cain killing Abel, but here's what uh, uh, God says to Cain. If you do well, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door it's desire the same hebrew word it's desire is contrary to you but you must rule over it so here we get a glimpse a better understanding of what this word means it's an improper desire it's almost like an evil desire uh, your desire is for your husband it shall be contrary to your husband it, in a sense you're going to desire to be or have the position or the role that your husband has. So your desire, this improper desire, is to rule or to be the head as your husband is the head. So your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So he's really saying what Moses is saying here, or what God is saying to the the woman, is that, hey, because of sin now, you're going to desire to be the head of the house and to lead as the man is supposed to lead. But the husband, he must be a man, and he must step into his headship and, and, and still be the head, even though it's going to be contrary to your guys' yeah. desires in a sense. And by the way, Sam, this is another one of those interpretive things that can overread, underread, like we talked about. There's another yep. way There's another way that you can look at this, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over, over you. That rule over you is, um, uh, could be you will now experience a domination against you that's not good. See, and that's how many of the feminist scholars read it. Yeah. So the point, though, is is it, here's the big part of that. And that is the curse is, here's the big point of this. The curse is this. You guys are now going to have incredible conflict. Yeah, <laughs> incredible conflict. And instead of you enjoying your position as the suitable helper, you're going to try to take control. You're going to desire to take control because you think it's your safest pop position. And on the other side of it, he's going to come back at you. And it could be that, that um, uh, he, he is going to try to take his proper role and deal yeah. with this. Or it could, right. mean, it could mean he's not doing a very good stinking job of it. And he's, right. he's going he's gonna to do it in a, a, a forceful, uncaring manner. Right. Dominating but th- manner. Right. This is where, again, interpretative, though, this is why it's it's the best interpretation, at least in my opinion, many yeah. scholars' opinion, yeah, I can to interpret it as, but he shall be your, your head as he's meant to be, the good headship, the yeah. male headship okay. that he was supposed to be. Because right. with Cain uh, and God saying, um, verse 7, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. 
it really is saying sin desires to have you and mess up your life, but you must rule over it. You must not let it yeah. do that. You must be holy. You must be obedient to to my word. Right. And so while we were talking earlier to the commentation, commentating uh, or the commentary by Ray Ortland, he shows both of these side by side, the way yep. these two things. And all my point is this, is this is the beauty of interpretation. We don't need to get freaked out. Right. While it may be a little more one or the other, the real issue here, though, is that the woman is not going to be feel safe anymore, and she's going to want to right. take control. And the man yep. is going to continue to have these conflicts with how to rule and how to lead as headship. He's, yep. ca- he's still called to do it. She's still called to be a woman. But the outcome yep. of that that little uh, you know sentence right there is, oh, man. is there is conflict between you two, and it's not going to go real well. Right. It's going to take a lot of stinking work. Yep. That's all yep. I want to get. Okay. Does that, is that fair? Uh, it's totally fair. Okay. Totally fair. So, verse 17, and to Adam he said, listen to this, because you listen to the voice of your wife. Right. So, so he, di- he, doesn't, and he does say, and have eaten of the tree, of which I command you, you shall not eat. But he starts with, because you listen to the voice of your wife. So what was, you could say, what was Adam's first sin? It wasn't that he ate of the tree. Is that he listened to his wife. Right. And this is this sounds crazy. This might sound crazy. But again, there's this reality that Adam has been given this divine role of leading and being the head of this family and his wife. And when his wife is an heir, he has to man up and set them on the right trajectory again. Now remember and he didn't. Right. So here's the thing though. That was, we could say, mid-fall, but let's just say pre-fall for the moment. The point being is this, is that when we read this, yeah, often today, somebody reads this, they're coming at this post-fall, meaning from our world to, you know, thousands of years later, and saying, yep. see, you never want to listen to your wife. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not what this means. What this means is he should not have listened to his wife because he was the rightful head. And he should right. have been leading and stepping up the plate, and he didn't. He cheated. Didn't. He, right. he stepped down, he became passive. He wimped out. Yep. Okay? That's what this is saying. You listen to your wife. You, you allowed the role reversal. Yep. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And obviously, he ate of the tree, when she commanded not to. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So cursed is the ground because of you. So this ground he was take he was made from this ground that he was he was called to work and and was a wonderful thing work and cultivate and keep now cursed is this ground because of you and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life uh, so it, it's thorns and thistles basically you shall uh, um, what does he say thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field but the sweat by the sweat of your face and you shall eat bread till you till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken and for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So, so that's amazing. Spe- well, here's what it does, though. You already made a point. The curse on Eve spoke yep. spoke to her authentic nature. Here's where the curse yep. is going to affect you, right in the center of your authentic nature. Your authentic nature is uh, coming alongside this man, Yep. coming together, and you yep. are the bearer of life. Like yeah. you carry this human life, the most profound thing on the face of the planet, and now it's yep. going to be a real painful, hard thing to be accomplished. Yep. So it's speaking. Think of this. It's speaking directly to her authentic nature. Now, right. 
Adam, what's your authentic nature? Okay. You were supposed to lead and you didn't. You listened to your wife. Yep. Secondly, you are the provider. You are the yeah. one. To, you're, you're on mission to work the ground. And now the curse is going to be against your primary center calling. And that yeah. is to provide and protect and, uh, and, and, and go on mission. Again, yeah. think, think of mission. And so that's going to now be a conflict. Oh man, it's in, it's it's so insightful. What's here? Oh, it's it's amazing because now we get into this discussion, of, you know, as we start moving to a close, probably for this this podcast real soon. I'm right. assuming, right, Sam? But yep, like you start thinking about this, like this is not some Western, um, Victorian, uh, male dominating thing. Woman, you stay home, and the man goes to work. Yeah, we'll no. get we'll get more to application, folks, in in the next a number of times from now. But on the face of it, there's no question that in the beginning, Adam was on mission to care for this garden, to provide. That was his primary center of his identity. Yep. And as far as a task that he was called to do, the responsibility, and now that's going to be the curse. And the woman's core of her responsibility. And her identity was to bear life and nurture this family. Right. So even that that we're getting to, you can see where this starts lending itself to an application. This is the way the original intention and couple were created. Yep. It's amazing. That's it's beautiful. The thing. And it's this beautiful picture. Now, obviously, we're getting into the fall now. And when we get to the Old Testament, the other parts of the Old Testament, we're going to see that because of the fall, this original beautiful intention becomes jacked up and there becomes yep. aberrations. But we're gonna see the product of this jacked upness. But right. it doesn't mean it Every doesn't mean that the original design is now void. There it is. So and here's the amazing thing. The closer we get to God's good design before the fall, the the better or more fulfilled we will be as human beings. It's the way it is. So can it's I say the way it is. Can I wrap this up, Sam? Um, the man called his wife's name Eve, which means life. Yep. Giver of life, right? Because so she, we have some optimism here. Yep, because she was the mother of all the living, and the Lord yep. God, God was gracious and merciful to them because they were caught in their nakedness. And what did he do? He made garments of skin. So there was a killing of animals there, maybe even a sacrifice. There's some discussion about that. For yep. Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. So he didn't yep. even he didn't he didn't leave them in the uh, no nope. naked and ashamed. He 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 covered them. And there's, again, some illusion there that we get to in the progressive revelation that as we move through the scripture, you'll see where this plays itself out. Yeah, it's, it, yep. so we see the chapter end with God's graciousness and mercy. Yep. And again, that's an overarching theme throughout the scriptures, God's grace. And obviously we see that best on display at the cross of Christ. And then we see this close with they're kicked out of the garden. So what does sin do? It separates humanity from the presence of God. They, they dwell in the presence of God in the garden. Now they're, now they're separated. That's what sin does. It separates. Yep. Uh, and then there's a, a cherubim uh, who is well, put... Well, it, separ it separates us too from the paradise we were originally supposed to experience. That is yep. a perfect, perfect role, perfect job description, perfect yep. provision. Everything. Everything's jacked up now and we're separated from it. Yep. Okay. And now they, uh, the, the interesting thing, the tree of life is brought back up. It's the last words in this in this thing 
He drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned uh, every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So they're separated from this tree of life. This tree of life will be brought back up in, in Revelation when we who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ have been won uh, and saved uh, for, for him to be his holy people, to be brought back to this amazing reality of pre-fall and where eventually we will again eat from the tree of life. So it's a very interesting thing. Yeah. Hey, can I, one other thought, Sam, that I've heard over my yep, life, one lifetime. And I, I, I don't know if you've heard this, but in some ways there's some discussion that maybe that's even the mercy of God kicking them out of the garden. Because if they would went back and, and ate of the tree of life, they would live eternally in the state of fallenness. Have you ever, I, I've heard similar things like that. Yeah, and I don't, yeah. I, I don't know entirely, but this sort of right. makes sense. And so right. even in his mercy, there was like, no, life now is going to be limited. It's painful. You're under a curse. Yep. But and you will die. And you will and die. And they did die. Yep. They and died. They, yep, yep. But anyway. So, that's, I thought that was great. I thought it was a great look. I mean, we went long. We went nearly two hours again. So, <laughs> but that's, I mean. That is so essential. We have to understand Genesis. We have to understand the creation account. We have to understand God's good design before the fall. We have to understand the curses of the fall. All important details that we have to see. We have to understand Satan's deception, how he works, how he, you know, deceives. So, hopefully that's a good basis. Hopefully we've put some good uh, pieces on the table to consider as we continue to progress through the scriptures and get more pieces on the table now as we are now start to interact in this post-fall world that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, but hopefully you, uh, I, I would hope that you learned something or saw something in a different way maybe before and, and maybe some clarity is coming. Uh, uh, but, uh, thanks for listening to this podcast episode. Uh, continue to tune into the, to the next episodes as we, as we continue to talk about biblical manhood and womanhood. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, and again, if you've enjoyed it, I encourage you to share it with a friend or a family member, but again, thanks and see you at the next episode. Bye.